Parshas Yisro, consulting the sages. When Yisro came to visit Moshe and the Bnei Yisrael in the wilderness, and he saw how the people were congregating about Moshe Rabbeinu, it was quite a sight to behold. It wasn't something that Yisro saw in his home country, that an entire nation should gather around one person from morning to night. And the truth is, we ourselves, if we would have witnessed what was going on, our eyes would have popped out of our heads. And so Yisro inquired from his son-in-law an explanation of what was doing. Why are you sitting here alone? And the people are standing around you from morning to evening. Yisro, what's going on here? Why are all these people lining up to speak with you? What do they want from you already? That's what Yisro wanted to know. And so Moshe said to his father-in-law, They're coming to me in order to seek Hashem. Now before we begin our subject, it's interesting to note that this generation was, they were a people interested in knowing what HaKadosh Baruch wanted. That is the picture of this great generation. The Dor Deya. They're waiting in long lines, crowding around Moshe Rabbeinu. And what is their purpose? It doesn't say they came because they had quarrels or because they had family problems or health problems. They came to Moshe because they wanted to get close to Hashem. And that's what Moshe told Yisro. They're coming, Eli, to me, in order, Lidrosh Elokim, to seek Hashem. Now, in the Mechilta, the Mechilta is a medrash on Shemos. It states as follows. Hadavar Sha'al Yehuda Ishkefar Ako et Robon Gamliel. There was a man named Yehuda Ishkefar Ako who came to Rabban Gamliel and put the following question to him. He said, Mara'a Moshe Lomar. What did Moshe see fit to say? Ki yavo elai ha'am. That the people come to me. Now to us, there doesn't seem to be much of a question here. Yisro inquired and Moshe answered. He should ignore his father-in-law. That's not a wise thing for any son-in-law to do, unless he's looking for trouble. So what is Yehuda Ishkefar Ako's question? Why did Moshe say, the people are coming to me? And so we'll understand it as follows. Yehuda Ishkefar Ako knew that all of our great men are noted for humility. You remember Hillel HaZakein. He's famous for his humility. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi. All of our Torah teachers were all noted for their humility. That's the way to recognize a true Torah leader. He's self-effacing, always trying as much as possible to erase his personality so that he shouldn't be noticed at all. He wants that the people should be in contact directly with Hashem. He doesn't want to be a partition, a mechitza, between the people and Hashem. Even in our recent history, the Chafetz Chaim Zichron Levracha was a great teacher of the Jewish people, but he was almost unnoticed. If you lived in the days of the Chafetz Chaim, you wouldn't have noticed him much. He dressed like a poor little Jew, a little old man, stooped over, walking in the street with his hands in his sleeves. He never wore gloves. Like this, he walked in the streets 
with his hands pulled up in his sleeves. That's a real leader of the Klal Yisrael. Someone who makes himself insignificant. And so when the Chavetz Chaim spoke, or when Hillel or Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai spoke, it wasn't a man speaking to you. It wasn't a personality. You heard the pure ideology of Torah speaking to you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was talking to you. Now Moshe Rabbeinu even more so. Of all the humble men, Moshe Rabbeinu was the most outstanding in his meekness, in his humility, and his contriteness of spirit. Moshe Rabbeinu is famous as the Anav Me'od Mikol Adam, the most humble of all of our great men. He was the prototype of the humble, self-effacing leader. And that's what bothered Yehuda Ish Kefar Ako. This man, the most humble of all men, when he had to say what the people were doing, he should have just said, Ki the people are coming, Lidrosh Elohim, to seek Hashem. It would have been a perfect statement if he would have omitted the word Eli to me. And that would have suited perfectly the nature of Moshe Rabbeinu. Why did he interject that superfluous word, Eli? Now to us, it may not seem superfluous, but Yehuda Ish Kafar Ako had an ear for this, and he heard a word that jarred in his ears. It didn't fit in with the personality of Moshe Rabbeinu. If it was one of us, we could excuse that slip of the tongue. After all, when it comes to us, Eli is everything. We think very highly of ourselves. But Moshe Rabbeinu, why did he have to stick in the word me over there? They're coming to be Doidesh Elohim and finished. So, let's see what Rabban Gamliel answered. He said like this to Yehuda Ish Kefarako, Im lav ma yomar. What else should Moshe have said? Kishuhu omer lidrosh Elohim yafe amar. He qualified the words. They come to me by adding, they come to seek Elohim. So he is speaking properly. Now it seems, at first sight, that Aban Gamliel is merely explaining away the contradiction between the word Eli and Moshe Rabbeinu's humble character by pointing out that Moshe added the words, Lidrosh Elohim. They're not actually coming to seek me. They come to seek Elohim. So that takes off the edge of the Eli. It doesn't seem so crude anymore. After all, he clarified what he meant. It's Hashem they're seeking. But actually, that's the wrong Peshat. Rabban Gamliel wasn't merely excusing Moshe Rabbeinu. He was saying much more than that. Yehuda ish kafar said Rabban Gamliel. Im lav ma yomar. You're making a big mistake. Because what else should Moshe Rabbeinu say? That word, Eli, is of the utmost importance when it comes to seeking Hashem. It's one of the greatest lessons. If Moshe would have omitted that word we would have lost a tremendous teaching. A big principle of the Torah would have gone lost. If you want to seek Elohim, there is only one way, and that is a lie. You have to come to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu here was not able to play the role of a humble man. He was teaching Torah. He was enunciating a great principle of what it means to be a Jew, of what it means to be a Doidish Elohim, a searcher for Hashem. Every human being, whether he knows it or not, has in his heart an instinct to seek to come close to Hashem.
Of course, if he doesn't know what he is looking for, so he might go on explorations of foreign countries. If he doesn't have the money to fly on airplanes, so he'll go to places of amusement, looking for fun. Maybe he'll try to become wealthy, real estate. He thinks that he's seeking apartment buildings. If he's more intellectually inclined, he'll go to the laboratories and study and do research. Whatever it is, everybody expresses this yearning in his own misguided way. However, even when people understand that this yearning is the desire to seek Hashem and that this is the only way to be happy, like it says, Yismach Leiv Hashem, even when people have enough understanding to know that it's Hashem that we are seeking, they have to know where to go. Are you going to seek him by the Grand Canyon? It's Niflais Haboide after all. Some people want to find Hashem in the forest or by the ocean, other places. All these people are in error. They are wandering off the path because there is only one place to go, and that is Eli. You have to come to me. Moshe Rabbeinu was enunciating a great principle here. If you want to find Hashem, Moshe said, you're going to have to come through me. Oh, that seems to be over-arrogance. It's the opposite of Moshe's nature. But that is what he had to say. Because there's no other way. You must come to the Torah leaders, to Talmidei Chachamim, and listen to their words. If a Torah leader tells you to go to the Grand Canyon, fine. Maybe he'll tell you to go to the base Medrash instead. But whatever it is, it's by means of the Chachamim that you'll find what you're seeking. Otherwise, you are going to wander and to continue to stray, and you will never discover the truth. That is why Moshe Rabbeinu had to put in the word Eli. It is the most important word in that sentence. Now we might say Moshe Rabbeinu certainly, because he was the mouthpiece. He spoke the words of Hashem. But we must understand that these words are a model for our history. Forever and ever, that is the system of coming close to Hashem. And here we come to the remarkable principle of the Torah Shabal Peh. A question is constantly being asked. Why is there such a thing as an oral Torah? Why wasn't the entire Torah written down? If you look in the Chumash, you will search in vain for the details of the Torah laws that we live by. Not only halacha, even very important and fundamental ideas of Yadus are not in the Chumash. Of course, if you have keen eyesight and you will look into it more deeply, you might find certain hints, but you certainly will not be able to discover it yourself. And the only way you can find out is by recourse to the sages. The entire Torah is like that. You cannot fulfill anything without the sages. Now that is a queer thing. Here we have a book of laws, and they are very strict. The Torah demands strict adherence to the laws, and it doesn't tell us how to fulfill the laws. The only way is by asking the Chachmei HaTorah. So the question is, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu make it that way? Why did he give the Torah in such a way that we can't understand it from the written Torah alone? Now, one answer is that Hagbah would be very hard to lift up a safer Torah that has in it the whole Shas and all the Mepharshim. That would be very heavy. You'd need a crane every time to do Hagbah. 
But that's not such a good answer. So we wouldn't do Hagba. Not so terrible. The most important reason is that Hashem doesn't want us studying laws from a book. He doesn't want you to be a lone ranger sitting by yourself and learning how to practice Judaism on your own. Because Torah is not merely information. It's about seeking Hashem. It's about learning how to live successfully in this world and the next. And the only way to do it is with a live person to guide you. And so from the beginning, that was his plan. The system of Eli, of coming to human beings, to the Torah sages. That is why Torah Shabal Peh had to be learned only from living sages. You know how a live Rebbe is different than a Sefer? I'll tell you one very important difference. Human beings have eyes and ears. Here's a man, he's studying a Tosfos. So while he's thinking, he puts his hand in his bosom and he picks under his arm, his armpit. Tosfos doesn't tell him, but a Rebbe will say it. Ah, that's a Rebbe. When you come into the yeshiva or into the shul or base medrash to learn from a living human being, so your Rebbe looks at you. He studies your behavior. If you don't have good manners, he'll correct you. If there's something wrong with your character, he will criticize you. When people came to Moshe and they asked him, we want to come close to Hashem. He said, to come close to Hashem, you shouldn't wipe your nose with the back of your hand. You shouldn't cough on somebody's face. You shouldn't talk when someone else is talking. Don't interrupt. You should be polite to people and say, thank you. Moshe Rabbeinu said these things, and thousands more. And that's how the people who came to Moshe Rabbeinu came closer to Hashem. He gave over everything together with the laws of the Torah. Along with the halachas, the people also swallowed a big dose of derech eretz and good midas. You heard words of Musr and Yira and Amuna and good character. How to behave with your fellow man. How people should behave to their wives. How wives should behave to their husbands. How children should behave to their parents. How you should behave to elderly people. Many things you learned. After a while of being close to Moshe, your character changed. And you learned to become a perfect servant of Hashem. And that is why Torah Shabal Peh has to be learned from the sages. You want to learn about the real function of Torah. If you just read the Bible, you are walking in darkness. If you just learn Torah, Nevi'im, Kisuvim, as great as they are, you are living a life of error. How big of an error? Bigger than you imagine. If you want to understand how serious of a sin it is to forget this principle of coming to a Chacham, we should see the story of Yoshiahu Hamelech. One of the greatest of all the kings of Yehuda was Yoshiyahu. He was a remarkable history. His grandfather was Menashe, who had corrupted the people exceedingly. Menashe reigned for 55 years. He began at the age of 12. At the age of 12, he began corrupting the Jewish people, and he did a very great job of it. You see today what a wicked president in America can do in just a few years. The Rav was referring to President Carter. Imagine 55 years, the people were getting ruined. Now it doesn't mean it was like the Bronx or Bensonhurst jewelry today in 1978. They were still better than the Jews of Flatbush and better than the Jews of Williamsburg. 
But in comparison to what HaKadosh Baruch Hu expected of our forefathers in those great days, it was considered a calamity. And so when Menashe died, he left over a bad situation. And his son Amon wasn't any better. He was a young man, young and cocky, and he followed the wicked ways of his father's regime. And it became so bad that finally the people became so disgusted with this regime that they arose and they assassinated Amun. The people got rid of him. They couldn't do it to Menashe because he was a high-handed ruler. But Amun, he was weaker. And so they had the chutzpah to rise up and assassinate him. But when those who were still loyal to Menashe saw this, they rose up in indignation and they took revenge on those who assassinated Amun. And then they took the son of Amun, a little eight-year-old boy named Yoshiahu, and they made him king. For them, this was the very best kind of king. It's like the synagogues who look for a new rabbi, and they pick the youngest one they can find, because he's pliable. You can twist him around the president's finger. That's why they want him for their rabbi. Therefore, with this young king, eight years old, Menashe's party thought, that they could do what they wished. And so it seemed at first. But then a queer thing happened. Instead of following the ways of his father and his grandfather, this boy began to inquire about the ways of an earlier ancestor. He was curious about the ways of David, who was his great, 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 great grandfather. And he became so interested and so inspired by the ways of David that this boy began to develop in a remarkable way. There wasn't a king like him who returned to Hashem with all of his heart. Melochim. That's Yoshiahu. He was one of the most enthusiastics of all of the kings that we had. And in his time, he turned the nation upside down. He called them together and they made a bris. Everybody came together and they made a covenant. They swore that they would be loyal to the Torah. They even made an expedition into the neighboring remnants of the Aseris Hashavatim, where they still had the old altars of the golden calves of Yerovam. Yoshiyahu cleared out the Avoid Zorah from all of Eretz Yisroel. Now, there's a lot to say about the biography of Yoshiyahu, but that's not our subject now. We're interested now in the way he came to his end. Yoshiyahu was still in the flower of his youth. He was only 38 years old. And something terrible happened. It was terrible. But it's a tremendous lesson for us. Paro Necho, the ruler of Egypt, began a march northwards towards Eretz Yehuda. But when Yoshiyahu Amelech got wind of Paro's plan, he sent messengers to him, warning him to keep out. He didn't want any foreign armies on his soil. Paro sent an answer to him and he said, I have no business with you now. I am going to meet my adversary in the north. He was fighting against the northern kings, not against Yehuda. And he said, don't oppose me. I'm just marching through your territory, but I have no ill intent. We're just going to pass through. Now Paro was a powerful king with a very big army. And Yoshiahu only had a little nation in Eretz Yehuda. And so Yoshiahu could have backed off. But still, Yoshiahu decided that he should oppose Paro. How did he decide? He said, it's written in the Torah, black on white. 
a promise from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you will go in my ways and observe my commandments, I will put peace upon the land. He promised us, said Yoshiahu. And now we're listening. We made such a movement for repentance in our country. We're certainly doing the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in that parasha, Hashem promises, No sword will ever pass through your land. Now Yoshiao reasons like this. What does it mean, no sword will pass through your land? It already states, That there will be peace. So why does it say, no sword will pass? It means that even a peaceful sword won't be permitted to pass through. Even when a king wants to march through peaceably, when we keep the Torah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises that our borders will be secure even against that. If that's the case, Yoshiau said, I take upon myself the right to go out and oppose Paronecho. So he took his army and he went to meet Paronecho at Megiddo, south of Yehuda. And there, a tragedy took place. The archers of Egypt shot their arrows and they mortally wounded Yoshiahu. Now, in Mesech the Tanis, the Gemara asks, Why was Yoshiahu punished? Now, we have to be Medayik. We have to be careful with the language of the Gemara. It says he was punished and the Gemara asks, why was he punished? What did he do wrong? Now we could say, what's even the question? Why he was punished? Who said it was a punishment? He made a mistake. He made an error. That's all. If a man is colorblind and he thinks the light is green and he crosses and a car happens to hit him, you say, why was he punished? Of course not. He was colorblind and he made a mistake. What's punishment have to do with it? The answer is, the mistake was not the reason why he was punished. A man is not punished for a mistake. He tried his best. He thought his generation was worthy. So where does punishment come in here? So the Gemara answers, He should have taken counsel of Yirmiyahu Hanavi, and he didn't. When Yoshiahu made the decision to confront Paronecho with the army, he did it on his own. He didn't consult Yirmiyahu Hanavi. That was his sin for which he was punished. He was punished for the sin of failing to go to the one who was bigger than him to take counsel. Now, Yoshiahu was a man who was exemplary. He was as perfect as one could be. He followed with all his heart all the ways of the Torah. He strove with all of his might, to emulate David. This man had every reason to live, yet he was cut down in the very best part of his life, in the flower of his youth, for only one sin and nothing else. They could find nothing against him. He was perfect in every way, but the only fault they could find was that he had failed to consult Yirmiyahu Hanavi. Now he didn't disobey. 
It wasn't that Yirmiyahu had told him one thing and he did something else. He wasn't, let's say, an official of the Union of Orthodox Jewish Congregations who had a Pesach from Rav Aaron Kotler and still they go and do what they wish. He wasn't a Poel. Hamizrachinik was some fellow in a very modern Orthodox congregation who thinks that Gedol Yisroel are nothing. Yoshiyahu was a Tzadik Gomer and to him... Every word of the Gadoy Lehatoira was precious. He obeyed them impeccably. They didn't say anything to him that he disobeyed. What he did by going out to fight Paronecho, he thought that it was certainly the Torah truth. He would have been happy to stay in his palace and not fight. But there was no question in his mind that he was fulfilling the will of Hashem. And that in itself was the great error. Because you may be right. You may be 100% right. But as long as there is a Talmud Chochem, a Navi, someone who knows more than you, someone who is closer to Hashem than you, it's your duty to consult him. And the failure to consult him means that Hashem does not need Yoshiyahu. That's a startling lesson. No matter how great a man is, if he overlooks the necessity of being in contact with the Gedoyle Yisroel, with Talmidei Chochomim, and asking, what do you say? What should be done? That is such a fatal omission that he loses thereby the right to be in this world. Not merely he got a slap on the wrist. Not merely he was scratched by the arrow. He was pierced by many arrows. He lost his life. And merely for this one misstep of forgetting to consult the sages. Now I understand that right away you're thinking, well, if I had Yirmiyo Hanavi or Moshe Rabbeinu, so of course I would come to him. But I don't have that opportunity. I have a Rav, a Rebbe, but he's not Moshe Rabbeinu. He's not the Moloch like Moshe Rabbeinu was. You know, had we been in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, we would have found excuses too. Chazal tell us that if you would see Moshe Rabbeinu walking in the streets, you would see that he is not such a skinny fellow. He was a heavy set man, Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't want to say such words about the Ish Elohim, but that's how it was. He was a heavy-set man. And our sages tell us in Tanchuma Kisisa that some people looked at him and they said, Kama Avim Shokav. How thick are his paunches? Hey, look at those thighs. Moshe Rabbeinu had a nose too. And so people were thinking, he's one of us. I don't know if they were actually saying those words or just thinking them, but that's what our sages tell us. It's hard to even repeat such a thing. That's what they think of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the way a person should have in his mind a picture of the Ish Elohim, the greatest man who ever lived. But that's the nature of a person. He finds things, ways of avoiding this great principle. And we have to take time to understand this, to overcome this. Now, to understand this a little better, we will listen to what the Gemara says elsewhere. There is a special mitzvah, a special command of the Torah. Ubo tidbak. You should cling to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now the question is, what does it mean in practice? It is a beautiful idea to cling to Hashem, certainly. But what do you do in practice? So here is a man sitting in a room. He decides he wants to cling to Hashem, so he pulls the window shades down and he closes his eyes and thinks about Hashem. It's not a bad idea, by the way. You should try that once in your life. Don't fall asleep, though. 
And if you can, do that for two minutes. Two full minutes thinking about Hashem. That's most certainly a way to cling to Hashem. But still, that's not a plan for life. We're looking for something more concrete. Some method of clinging to Hashem that can guide us throughout our lives. And we have to know that we are not left blind to wander and to experiment and waste our lives in error. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has revealed to us exactly what this means. He gave us a precise interpretation. What is it? Along comes the Gemara in Kasubas and says, how do we cling to Hashem? Hadbeg b'chachomim v'talmidehem. Cling to the sages and to their disciples. That's it. Attach yourself to the sages. That's the way of coming close to Hashem. And if you think there is another way, then you are going to waste your life. Someday you're going to discover your error, but it will be too late. Now we note that it says, Hadbeg b'chachomim v'talmidehem. Cling to the sages and to their disciples. It means not everybody can get close to the sages. To the great leaders, it's not easy to get close. Sometimes they're surrounded by thousands of disciples. Sometimes there are other barriers. So hadbek betalmidehem, get close to the disciples. It's like a magnet. Did you ever see iron pins attached to a magnet? They hang sometimes 15 iron pins, one suspended from the other, because there is a force from the first one, from the magnet, that goes through all of them. The magnet has an iron pin hanging from it, another iron pin, another one. Now these iron pins are not magnets, but they are attached to the top magnet. So where there is a Rebbe, an Adam Gadol, he has disciples, and disciples of disciples, and disciples of those disciples. Even if you can't get close to the top, get close to somebody who is connected to the top. This means that the sage we're talking about is the rabbi at the little shul round the corner. Which corner? All the corners. You have to come close to that one and make him your rav. Wherever you are, you're in Canarsie, you're in Far Rockaway. You're in Manhattan. Any Orthodox synagogue. Make the local rabbi your rav, your master. Even if it's a little rabbi, he is capable of helping you. He is capable of being the chacham you can come to. Of course, if you can find someone better, and even better, and even better, certainly. If, let's say, Rav Shach will accept you as his personal friend and spend time with you, certainly. If the Slobodka Rosh Hashiva will accept you as his Talmud, certainly. If the Lubavitcher Rebbe will let you in to spend time with him, certainly. But it is difficult, so take instruction from anybody. And I can guarantee you that the little local rabbi around the corner can save your life for you. People will testify years later that he gave them one steer in the right direction and it changed their lives again and again. We hear such testimonies. How many people lost out on everything? They lost their wives and many lost their health. And they lost their businesses because they didn't have a local rav. Now I know that you have a lot of kashas on that. Because on the local rabbi, sometimes there is a kasha. Sometimes there is this kasha or that kasha. We are talking about a kosher Jew, of course. We are talking about a person who is sincere and has a certain competence. But even though he doesn't have wings sprouting at the back under his capote, 
Even though he can't make any moifsim, there is no halo around him. He looks like an ordinary human being. But he is the one that HaKadosh Baruch Hu points out to you. Now you have to train yourself. You have to change your attitude in order to cling to a tzaddik. You have to train yourself not to see the gashmias. You have to see his spirit, his ruach, his neshama yiseida. You have to see that he is your Moshe Rabbeinu. He's your conduit to be doire shelokim. That's what the Gemara in Moed Katan says. Im harav domel Hashem. If the Rav is similar in your eyes to an angel of Hashem of hosts, toire yevakshu bipihu, then you should seek toire from his mouth. And if not, if he appears to you to be an ordinary human being, don't seek toire from his mouth. So some people, Lamdanim, make a mistake. They take it as a heter to not attach themselves to any Rebbe. Go find me a Rebbe who resembles an angel of Hashem of hosts, they say. There is no such thing. So they think they're free now, but they are mistaken. The word Malach means a messenger. If the Rav is similar in your eyes to a Malach Hashem, that's how you'll become a Torah Jew. If you have the attitude of loyalty to this Torah principle, that the Torah teacher represents the word of Hashem, and Hashem sent him to you. If you have the ability to regard him in that light, then you'll be able to seek Torah from his mouth. That's the way to seek success. That's the way to be a Torah Shalokim. When you get into your head that the Rashi Yeshiva are sent by Hashem, the Mesifta Rebbeim, the local Rabbanim, are sent by Hashem. There are so many fine local Rabbanim. There are a lot of people who are capable of being regarded as Malach Hashem, a messenger of Hashem of hosts. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Let's say you frequent a little shtibel or a little synagogue in Canarsie and there is a rabbi there and you walk in with the intention, I am going to make of him the very best use I can. The first Shabbos. First you go over and say, good Shabbos to him. You've been there for a long time and you haven't done that yet. It's not too late. Go over to him and say, Shalom Aleichem. Make yourself known to him and put into your heart the Kavanah Tova that you want to get something out of him, that you want to get some guidance from him. You are going to see there will be results that will gratify you. Once you make him a Malach Hashem, then you are going to succeed in being a Doide Shelokim. Now I know that today is a very alien idea. People who go to shul every week never once came over to their local rabbi to say, Shalom Aleichem, good Shabbos. They never came to speak to him, to confide in him, to ask him advice. They are orphans. They are wanderers on this face of the earth. They have no father and no mother. There is nobody to guide them. They are lost sheep. The children go lost constantly from the Orthodox camp. People are going lost every day. It is remarkable how many are strained. It is because they have nobody who is in charge of them. They are Yisoyimim, orphans without parents. The majority of the observant Jews, I'm not talking about the others who are lost. The majority of the observant Jews don't understand this principle. And therefore, unfortunately, a great part of their lives is lost too. They keep the mitzvahs. They learn Torah. They're raising nice families. Very good. Excellent. But 
they're losing out on the real perfection in life, the real success of living life to its fullest, because they're ignoring this principle of coming close to Hashem by means of subjugating ourselves to the Chachamim. Is there any wonder there are so many tragedies taking place? I hear of a couple whom I had known. They are divorced. What happened? Why don't you come and ask beforehand? There is no counsel. There is no guidance. People are going crazy today. They are putting themselves in the most precarious situations. And all over it is happening. The Orthodox are going lost because of lack of leadership and guidance. Lives are being ruined. People's health. Trouble with children. With in-laws. With neighbors. And even though it's very practical advice you're hearing now. You'll live more successfully in Gashmias if you follow it. But we are learning here something much more important. You have to make a rab for yourself and stick to him in order to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because that is our function in this world. And there is no other way about it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has revealed to us that the only way that a person can ever hope to come close to him is by means of his Chachamim. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. Coming close to the sages. Moshe explained to Yitro that the people must go through him in order to come close to Hashem. It is our duty to connect to living teachers as a means of connecting with Hashem. This week, I will take one action each day in order to come close to my Torah teacher. I will make sure to see my teacher each day and do something to reinforce the connection between us.